Well, today's episode is brought to you by West End, South Australia's most iconic beer. Now, it's a clean, fresh draft beer. There's nothing more local, nothing more South Australian than cracking a red tin. Australia, I felt, was sitting on my back. So much was expected of me, and I was just 20. And I kept muttering to myself as I came from under the underground after being sick with nerves. I'm as good as they are until they prove otherwise. I kept nattering that to myself. And when I won it, I just, I can't explain it. I could never explain it to anybody what it was like to stand up on that dais and raise that Australian flag. Well, that is the great Marjorie Jackson Nelson, a.k.a. the Lithgow Flash. And this year is the 70th anniversary of Marge becoming the first Australian woman to win an Olympic gold medal. It was in Helsinki, 1952. She took gold in the 100-metre sprint and then backed it up with another gold in the 200, all at just 20 years of age. But she also won something even more important while she was away at those Olympics, and that was the heart of Peter Nelson. He was a South Australian young man who was there representing our country as a cyclist. He and Marge got together, and then within a year, they were married. Now, recently, I was very lucky to have the opportunity to present Marge with a cake to celebrate the 70th anniversary of those gold medals. And a huge thank you to Channel 7 News Adelaide, who have allowed us to use that interview and that footage in this podcast. Marge is also the Governor of South Australia, and at 91 years young, she has got a brilliant memory of all those wonderful achievements that she's had in a really fruitful and fulfilling life. Back in 1977, just 24 years after marrying Pete, he lost his battle to leukaemia, which left Marge to raise three kids on her own. Within six weeks of Peter's passing, Marge created the Peter Nelson Leukaemia Research Fellowship Fund because she didn't want anybody else to have to go through what her and her family did. They've raised a ton of money and created some amazing research into leukemia. It's an absolute treat to have Marge join us on the podcast, and I know you're going to love it. It's like a walk back through time. Here we go, Marjorie Jackson Nelson. Welcome along to the Soda Room, a place where we get to know the real stories behind some of the biggest names in the game. It was like we had won the grand final. <laughs> I just got some new boots. It was something yeah. special for me. Did you understand the significance of that moment? Oh, yeah. Nothing compared. That's what I thought I had to do as a leader. You got the same undies on. <laughs> I've got exactly the same ones on. Marjo, I'm so excited to see you here. Congratulations. Uh, happy 70th anniversary. Yes, it's unbelievable and uh, very proud that I'm still here to enjoy it. <laughs> well, you certainly, uh, I mean, you stopped the world. You're the fastest woman on the planet back in 1952. How vivid are the memories still from back then? Oh, yeah, so, well, of course, my grandchildren keep talking about it. And yeah. uh, I've just been, my daughter has just been over in Melbourne and and my granddaughter was telling my grandson here about This Is Your Life that I was on. And, yep. and of course, he didn't know anything about it. <laughs> so he's asking me, you know, what's all this? So I've got a copy, so I'll let him see it. So, um, yes. That's quite amazing, because obviously, yeah, for the grandkids and the yeah. little like, great-grandkids now, yeah. do they understand what Nana has done and what... Oh, well, when Marty was young, I mm. used to be in the supermarket and she'd be at this checkout and she'd go to people... This is my, and yell it, this is my grandmother. She's the fastest woman in the world. And I used to go as red as a beetroot. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so embarrassed, and everybody would go, oh, looking at her, you know. But they, they are very proud, mm. very, very proud, and it's, it's lovely for them. As they should be. Well, take us back. Can you, can you, 70 years ago, tell us about that particular day and that race. What, what are your memories of it? I was glad it had been raining. Mm because back then the spikes were very long because we ran here in Australia in, with grass. Yeah. And Lithgow built me a cinder track, mm. well not a track, just a strip of 150 yeah. metres of cinders. And of course it wasn't anything like the cinders overseas. So yeah. in the fog and the sleet and the snow, that's how I trained for the Olympic Games by the lights of one motor car. So they have the headlights on? Well, you, you couldn't see it. I used oh. to feel with my feet because that's how thick the fog was. You couldn't see your hand if you put it in front of you. And I used to feel with my feet and hope I was on the straight line uh, of, of the bit that was yeah, bitumised yep. and then just run in through the fog and then I'd bang into the car at the end. And really? that, Yeah, that's how I trained. Uh, because we finished competition here in March and the Olympics uh, started in July. Well, mm. overseas were right in the middle yeah. of their season and, mm. of course, we weren't. So we hadn't had any races when we left Australia. So when you were training in that sort of situation, you were training pretty much every night after work? After work. In the dark, in, in the, the cold? In the dark, in the cold, in the snow, and then having to walk about two and a half kilometres home. I used to get home about 10 o'clock at really? night, and yeah. mum would have dinner waiting, then I'd go to bed, and I used to do that five days a week. Mudge, what drove you? What really got you to do that every night during all that winter as well? What I must have it? been mad. <laughs> uh, oh, just the thought of getting a trip overseas. You know, because I remember when I first beat Flanny Blackers Cohen, who mm. won in London, I got invited to go to Melbourne. And I was to talk of Lisco because I was going on an aeroplane. <laughs> Not because I'd won any events, it's because I'd gone on this plane. So that's what it was like back then. So just to... I, I don't really know why I kept going, but I used to love sport, so... Yeah. Uh, but some days I got sick of training, I have to admit. You still went though, every night? Every night. Right. Yeah. And your coach was at Jim Monaghan? Yes, that's and right. And so was he a hard taskmaster or did he sort of guide you through nicely? Oh no, he wasn't. wasn't they weren't like that back those days. He was a professional runner that yeah. had run in the stall gift. Mm. And uh, he started up a Lithgow Athletic Club and there was only me and his wife. And the two of, and two of his two. friends, there were about four of us. <laughs> and then, of course, after I won at the Olympics, yeah. everybody, uh, Fleur, Fleur Mella came up from Sydney and lived with my parents, and because yeah. she was in the 56 relay team yeah. that won a gold medal. Yeah. So. You mentioned Fanny Blankers Cohen, so mm. she was the world record holder. <clears throat> she won four gold medals in 1948 in London. She comes to Australia to show everyone what a, uh, an Olympic champion's like. And you as a young girl, you, you beat her three times, didn't you? Yes, that it was very unusual, that, that race, because I actually ran a yard faster than what she did at the Olympic Games the year before. And when I was 16, I tried out. Mm. I'd only ever run 100 yards. And I got into the Australian final yep. of the, when I was 16, and mm. the girl next to me broke, and I sat there. Yeah. I never sat there again because they didn't call them back. Right. And two of those girls had never beaten me, ever. Yeah. They, the Lithgow people went down with a delegation to find out why my name hadn't been submitted. This was to then go to the 48 Olympics, wasn't That's it? That's right. Men's and the women's were separate at that stage and they said, well, the women hadn't put my name up. 
and of course it turned out those two girls, their parents were officials from Sydney. And so I was left out of it. And uh, one of them said to the men, oh, one of the men said to my trainer, well, where the devil's Lithgow? And he just looked at him and then said, in four years time, you'll know where Lithgow is. Because they found out pretty quickly. Well, when we got this invitation, uh, we were going to move back to Coffs Harbour to live. And I got this invitation to compete. So when I realised what mum and dad gave up for me, because they always wanted to go back to my birthplace. And of course, to beat her. And then on the Wednesday night, I had to go down and I go to start and I was particularly shy. I get to the starting line, they came up and said, you're not allowed to run tonight. It's Fanny's night. My trainer, <laughs> he just said, well, Marge has got an invitation and she's yeah. running. Yeah. And so they withdrew Fanny from the race. Right. And so then the great big papers were really playing this up. And so yeah. on the Saturday, I had to run against her again. And they mowed her lane yeah. and they kept the long grass in all the other lanes. So you're on grass in Sydney. Her lane is what, like a billiard table? That's right. And they just mowed hers? That's right. And you still, what happened? Well, and then Dad used to sole our ordinary shoes and he'd made this thick sole and I'd tied it over my spikes because of all the mud, because it'd been raining and I forgot to take them off. So I ran against her with this stuff covering the whole of my shoes. And you beat her? Yep. Well, she said there was a hole in the... She pulled up about the 75-yard mark and said there was a hole in the track, were a pothole, and all the reporters went round, of course, couldn't find one. So like, It was a billiard table, her yeah. track. What so, was she complaining about? Well, I was got him very unpopular um, <laughs> with Marge, the officials. <laughs> when you, so you get to that point, you miss out on the Olympics as a young girl, you're taking on the fastest woman on the planet, and you've beaten her. How did you feel? Was it? Well, I got back to Lithgow, I can remember, about half past 11 at night, and the whole of the station was full of people. Oh, hundreds of them. And they'd made a great big horseshoe of flowers. And they put that round my neck as I stepped out the train. And as I'm coming into Lithgow, the train kept blowing the whistle for about 10 minutes before we came in to let them know I was coming. And that was lovely when I came home from the Olympics, Qantas diverted the plane and flew over Lithgow. Really? Yes. I just want to ask, just to go back on that, once oh, you'd yeah. realised you'd beaten Fanny mm. Blankers Cohen and you'd beaten her a few times, had it sort of sunk in that you were potentially the fastest woman on the planet at that point? Uh, I didn't really take much notice of it, to be honest. Uh, I know Jim Monaghan was more mm. angry than what I was. Yep. And uh, he just said, well, when I got this invitation, we're now going to think this is the Olympic Games, and that's right. how I trained. You win your four gold medals at the 50, 1950 Commonwealth Games. Mm -hmm. Do that beautifully. You get to Helsinki. 70 years ago today, you're lining up in the 100 metres. You said it had rained that morning. Yes. Tell me about the race. I vomited before the start. Oh, the nerves, because Australia, I felt, was sitting on my back because... It was headlines in all the papers in New yeah. South Wales, just headline after headline. Um, so much was expected of me, and I was just 20. And I kept muttering to myself as I came from under the underground after being sick with nerves, yeah. I'm as good as they are until they prove otherwise. I kept muttering that to myself. And when I won it, I just, I can't explain it. I could never explain it to anybody what it was like to stand up on that dais and raise that Australian flag.
At what I point felt it was a moment in time that was mine. Yeah. Can never be taken away from me. At what point in the race did you know it was yours? I didn't think about it. <laughs> All <laughs> I wanted to do was get down the other end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was... Uh, the excitement in Australia mm. was unbelievable because, as I said, I was the first woman to mm. ever win it. And Lisko, Mum sent me a letter saying Lisko had, had a planned minute of noise. I thought, oh, they're mad. Uh, but everything that could make a noise, they did it for a minute. Really? Every siren, yeah. police sirens, the fire brigade, all the car horns, yeah. even all the kids came out of school with those little triangle things hitting them. Yeah, yeah. And they just went absolutely mad with excitement. I felt that first medal really was for mum and dad and the people of Lithgow mm. for what they gave up for me. But I know darn well the second one was for me. <laughs> so equal world record in the 100. Yes. You win the 200. Yes. Another world record there. Uh, yes, well, they f I the broke the world record in the semi-final yep. because Peter was there seeing me run and I wanted to show off. <laughs> And I broke the world record. Well, then they found out that it was a 17-year-old record by a Polish runner. Mm. And then later years, she was actually shot in a restaurant and they found out it was a man. What? Yeah, the Stella uh, that won. Really? Yeah, she was actually a man. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. What an amazing situation. So you essentially broke a, 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 man's. a man's world record? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you've won those two. Tell us a little bit about the relay, because some people might know, essentially, you could have probably had the three gold, couldn't you? We should have. Yeah, tell us what happened in the relay. Well, there was only, of the 85 that went, only 35 had their fare paid for. Yeah. Everybody else had to raise their own money. Mm -hmm. And I used to go down at my own expense at night, Wednesday night to Sydney, to the Harold Park Greyhound Dogs, mm and put sashes around these greyhound dogs. I never wanted to see another greyhound as long as I lived. And I did that every Wednesday night and they would give the money to the relay team. Right. Well, I was uh, nominated as the first athlete and the relay team was way down the list. They had to raise their own money. Mm -hmm. So we actually had never run as a relay team before till we got overseas. And then we in New South Wales and the other states always ran with our hand on our hip. Well, one of the girls wanted to change it, that we had our hands stretched at the back. So, explain what do you mean with your hand on well, your Well, we head? used to run like that, and the right. other girl would just put it there, and your hand right, would close. Right. Which was safer. Yes. But instead of this business, yep. with our hands out like that. Mm. And in the heat, yep. we broke the world record. And then in the final, Winsome's leading around to me, and yep. the lane that we were in, you get that 10 metres to change that yes. baton over. And if it isn't, if you go over the line, you're disqualified. Well, I had actually run two, two steps yeah. with this grin all over my face. Because I thought... You are in front? Yes. Oh, yes, we were in front. And then suddenly I didn't have it anymore. And it turned out she hadn't pulled up. And she was still oh. running behind me. And my yeah. arm went back yeah. with this baton and her knee came up and sent it flying. There's, and all these years, everyone keeps saying I dropped the baton, but I never, ever dropped the baton. It was not completely out of my hand. Right. So I, I wished the race had been about another 50 metres because I reckon I would have caught them. So because I caught one. the baton up? Oh, yeah, it bounced. It bounced. Yeah. And I, I caught one girl. 
I think I could have caught more if it had been a yeah. little bit longer. And yeah. then we went on to London to the uh, to White City and yeah. broke the world record and beat the Americans that won it. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, I was heartbroken for the other two yeah. because what we gave up, you know. We had Shirley Strickland in your team, didn't you? That's so right. she won the gold in the hurdles. Yes. So it was the other two. Yes. That um, that missed out on their. Yes, I said to Winsome once. I've taken this blame all these years. It's about time you took it, Winsome. <laughs> so this is Winsome Cripps. Yes. Um, did she take any responsibility? Oh, she laughed. And, and then <laughs> apparently in her obituary, she said that the knee stuck her, her leg. Yeah. She, she took responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Fantastic. So you, you've won your two gold medals and you mm -hmm. came back home. Oh, unbelievable. Tell us when you got to Australia. Unbelievable. Uh, from Sydney Airport to 96th Mile. Uh, was with people. Mm. I've never seen so many people. Every town through the Blue Mountains, they all came out and welcomed me home. And then they had a big luncheon at Katoomba. And, and then I got to Lithgow, where there was about 22 or 23,000 waiting. And they had all these banners. And, and the, they absolutely went hysterical. I'd actually thought I'd die because the car they put me in, you couldn't see me because of all the flowers. That's wow. how many flowers were there, and they had a big like carnival of like soldiers marched yeah. and Red Cross girls and scouts and brownies, and it was a great big procession that they had, and uh, they were so excited, and I was just so happy for Lithgow. You were still very young at this stage. Twenty. <laughs> so as a twenty-year-old mm. Coffs Harbour Lithgow girl, yeah, yeah. had it really sunk into you what you'd just achieved? Ah. Uh, I'll never forget Lesko, mm. ever, ever. And uh, the support that they gave me and the love that they gave me. Uh, you know, I really appreciated that. Who came up with the Lithgow flash name? Well, they used to call me a lot of things. They used to call me the Blue Streak and, and uh, oh, then the aeroplane name. They used to answer named a plane after me. Right. The Lithgow, I forget what they call that. And then some, and then we had a, it was the design that we actually had on our top, yeah. like a flash thing, and that's yeah. where they started to yes. call me the Lithgow Flash. You mentioned before when you won the 200 metres, you <coughs> were showing off in front of someone you met pretty special. You got a couple of gold medals in Helsinki, but you probably got something that a little bit more than one. that, didn't you? Yeah. Tell us about your husband, Pete, because he was over there cycling for Australia. Yeah, I'd never met him before. Where did you meet? On the plane. Right. And... Back in those days, you never spoke to a boy, really, mm. unless you were introduced to them. Right. So the boys from running on New South Wales, a lot of them I knew, but you'd just smile and say hello. Well, I think we were halfway between here and Darwin, and the boxing manager said, well, this is ridiculous. We're going away for two months. Nobody's speaking to one another. So he made everyone get up on that plane and go around and introduce themselves to yeah. one another. So that was all right, you could talk to them then. Oh, oh gee, don't we so now fashion. <laughs> and uh, then he asked me out in London and uh, I knew him six weeks. He asked me to marry him and I thought, wow, fancy waking up to this gorgeous looking hunk. So I went, yes, I didn't know anything about him at all. So hang on, this is even before you got back from the Olympics. Yeah. You'd already agreed to get yeah. married. You hadn't yeah. even met him before you left. Oh. So tell us, when you, so you're going around meeting everyone on the plane. Did he catch your eye or did you catch his? What do you reckon? No, no, uh, no. Uh, I was just one night we were in London and the boxing manager said, oh, I'm going for a walk. And of course, our manageress would never leave me out of her sight. So she said she'd go too. 
And so I said, I'd go, and suddenly Peter came from somewhere and said, oh, I'll go too. And we walked along, and that's the thing he held my hand, so that was all right with me. <laughs> yeah, when you think about it. Oh, God. What a beautiful love story. Yeah. I um, didn't ever see what he saw in me, but I didn't care. <laughs> Marge, don't show yourself short. Yeah. Um, and obviously, yeah, he was over there with the Olympics with cycling, and yes. he was a, an SA boy, which is why you, you're still here now. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, would have been uh, married, uh, God, 1953 mm. we got married, yeah. yeah. Can I ask too, so you, you, you obviously go to the Commonwealth Games after you win your Olympic golds yeah. and win another three. <laughs> was there, because you're still young, was there any consideration to, to stay running for Melbourne for 56? Well, no, not really, because we had no money. I had to buy my, I earned one pound 17 and six a week. I gave mum a pound and in 17 and six, I had to clothe myself, buy my running shoes, and it used to take me over six months to pay them off. They were five pound five each. Right. And I bought two, I got two pair of those made. So yeah. I, I had to save to buy those and we had to provide our own starting blocks. And this is why you're the fastest woman on the planet. Yeah. And then uh, when we got to London, they'd give us 15 and six to live for the week. Yeah. And out of that, we'd have to buy our meals, pay to go on the train to go and train. And it used to cost us about 18 and six. And, and you know, that back then, uh, I realised Dad gave me the rest, you know. Yeah. We just, and then, of course, we were strictly amateur. And then we came back and see, Peter went on to Germany and rode in the World Championships, so and we had no money. Mm. We, when I think back, we got married, and we really only could afford the honeymoon, the ring. We had nowhere to go. His brother went away for a week's holiday and we stayed there. <laughs> I mean, gee. And then, uh, and then Peter's boss lent us one of his bedrooms and we lived in that for a long while. Right. Yes. We, we, everything we ever earned, I never got anything out of athletics. Yeah. But the one thing I did see was the world. Yeah. So I'm quite grateful for that. What an amazing story. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting life. Yeah, tell us a little bit, when you, you <coughs> go to Helsinki, and you said with the planes back then, there was no long haul flying. So how did you get there? What, what was the stages of the trip? Well, we'd get to Darwin, then they'd have to refuel. Yep. Then we went to Indonesia, then refuel, then to Singapore, <laughs> and we stayed overnight in Singapore at Raffles. Oh, yeah. And that was about the only hotel then. It would have been all right, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, but all the rest of it were yep. the sandpans. You didn't, you know, yeah. it isn't like it is now. Yeah. And then we got to um, Karachi and Colombo yeah. and e every place we stopped at, and then in Rome until we got to London. So it took took about a week, and then we were oh, in London. That's an amazing trek. It was, and uh, and then from London to Helsinki. That's right. So yeah. was that it? Could you get a flight from London to Helsinki? Yes, yeah, that, that, yes. that would sort of get you there direct. Yeah, but the 1948 team had to go by boat. So, I mean, how could you compete in athletics when you had to go on yeah. a sea voyage to get to London? Yeah, yeah. You know, Australia had to overcome a lot. And uh, I can remember all the boys. We used to have a meeting every Monday with the manager. And the boys would all be complaining because they would still had coupons from the war. And you couldn't get any meat. And I didn't know you could disguise potatoes. Like, we just lived off potatoes. Right. And uh, they and the manager, I can remember him standing there saying to them, well, if you're unhappy, here's your ticket and you can go home. 
now they take you to court. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we got, they got meat sent from Australia, but it took nearly a week to get there. <laughs> wow. Yes. So you think of all the adversity that you have to overcome and, and no money, yeah. yet you were still able to have that achievement. You must um, yeah. feel so proud. I am now. I didn't really realise in latter years, really, that what I'd done. And um, one of the grandchildren wanted to see one of my scrapbooks and I got, you know, got it down. And, and uh, I thought, gee, I started to read them and I thought, I didn't know I was that good. <laughs> yeah, so um, I was pleased for, to be able to repay my parents mm. and let's go in mm. Australia. I mean, I really love my country. And I was so proud that, and I'll always be the first at something. <laughs> you were the first woman yeah. to win a gold medal for Australia at the Olympics. Yes, yeah. And so you beat Shirley Strickland by, what, a couple of days? Because she won the hurdles. She won the hurdles, yes. Oh, you got that up on her? Oh, I know. <laughs> and I told her too. <laughs> Don't think I was too popular. As <laughs> um, you said, that, that first one you won, the first gold medal, it was something for your parents. So they'd obviously yeah. given up. A lot and sacrificed a lot for you to be able to achieve your goals? Uh, they were, you know, it's as I've got older, mm. I've realised I should have thanked them more. What they gave up for me, and I was, one of my sisters passed away with breast cancer, and I said to my other sister, must have been awful living in the shadow of me. Mm. She looked at me and she said, oh, not on your life. I wouldn't have had your life for quids. <laughs> really? Oh, well, I think she saw that once that happened, my life was no longer my own. It was no longer yeah. my own. Yes. And I, and I had a very wise father, which I didn't appreciate at the time. Yeah. When I was 15, I had my photo in the paper, and I must have been going around with my head in the air. Yeah. And then Dad just took me in. He said, now, look, God gives us all a gift. George just happens to be running. Yeah. You know better than anybody else, and don't forget it. And then when I came back from the Olympics, a reporter said to my dad, well, you must be proud of your daughter now. Mm. And he said, I've always been proud of her. Mm. And it didn't affect them. Like I was, nothing was ever said much in the house about it. Like yes. I remember I broke a world record in training. Well, I never went home and told them. Really? <laughs> well, it was just something I'd done. <laughs> and until my trainer said to dad at where he worked at the small arms factory, wasn't it great? And he said, Marge didn't tell me. I never thought to tell him. <laughs> You're breaking the world record. <laughs> In training, yeah. I was weird. <laughs> oh, mate, it's just fantastic. Nowadays, when you, you look at where athletics is and sport is oh. now, um, and you've obviously been involved with the Commonwealth Games for many years yes. and still take a very keen interest, it must make your head spin. Looking on, on where I can't believe what they get. Yeah. I remember in one of the teams, so I had to go to Sydney for a week to pack the cases for what they put in there mm. for them. And I yeah. can remember when I was over, I think it was in Kuala Lumpur or somewhere, one of them came up to me and said, so-and-so had got three track suits and she'd only got two. <laughs> and I said, well, it'd be nice. So I said, well, we had one that was all made of thick cotton and that lasted two months. Yeah. I mean... You know, we have the supply. They have all the shoes supply. I, I, I can't get over considering we had nothing. <laughs> yeah, and, and paid for the honour. I know. You paid for the honour to be yeah. a, a champion. Yes, I know. And then when I got married, I had mm. to actually live and be a resident here for six months. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and of course, I wasn't. Uh, the mm. uh, Australian titles were coming up in March and I'd only been here four months. Mm. So we did not have the money for me to go to New South Wales to contest, because I still had to run for New South Wales. Yeah. And so they sent me an invitation, but we had no money because we got married in the November and we had no money. And I couldn't afford the plane trip yeah. to go to Sydney to run. And the, the papers apparently got hold of it in Sydney and said it was disgusting that he mm. was an Olympic champion and not in brought over. So they brought me over and I broke the world record in the 200. Did you tell your dad? Yeah, so <laughs> I think they were pleased I ran for New South Wales. <laughs> Why not? And I was to, uh, Bruce McAvaney rang me mm. the other day and he said, I'm reading up on these Commonwealth Games. He said, when you went in 1954, mm. when you got the bat, and he said, the girl was 12 yards ahead of you. He said, that wouldn't be right, would it? He said, because you're competing against, you know, yeah. world-class athletes. Yeah. I said, no, that's true. <laughs> I said, the night before, one of the girls took sick and they had to pull her out of the relay. And they put this tiny little girl in that ran the hurdles. And we'd never had a bat and change at all. And by the time it all got to me, we were 12 yards behind. And I, and I could still remember the roar, believe it or not, really? of the people. And uh, I pipped her just at the post and we won the gold medal. Wow. Yeah. Because when you look at your record with the, the seven Commonwealth Games golds yeah. and the two Olympic golds, there's no silvers there. No. No bronzes. No. Oh. You just won. I'll have to try again. <laughs> I'm always intrigued to know with someone who is like a champion, did you ever have doubts in your mindset like with any of the races, even when you're a young girl going up against Fanny Blankers Cohen or you get to the start of the Olympics or the Com Games? Did you doubt yourself or was there always that sort of inner belief? Oh, no. When, uh, after the business on that Wednesday night, I thought, oh, God, I hope I dropped dead so I don't have to run against the next Saturday. Oh, no. you've got no idea what the papers were doing. And yeah. it, it was so stressful for someone that was 16. I mean, th these were headlines. Yes. Headline after headline yeah. after headline. Yeah. And, and I was a particularly shy country girl. Yeah. And I wasn't used to that bombardment mm -hmm. and all these press people sort of yelling at you and yeah. I, I found it very daunting very very uh, I got it was funny when I was 80 my kids played a record and uh, and they were interviewing me <laughs> and when I beat Fanny Blanca's Cohen all I did was yes no no yes <laughs> yes and the only thing I said different was Mr Monaghan when they asked to train me yes and that was when I was 17. And when I was 20 and I came back for the Olympics, they, mm. they had the continuation of this gramophone record and you couldn't shut me up. <laughs> the confidence that I grew going yeah. away mm. to London and Helsinki and facing the press, which I'd never, which I used to find very hard. Now I talk too much, I think. <laughs> well, you love it, Chad, it's brilliant. I love yeah. that you can, you can yeah. share all of this with us. When you were living in Government House there on North Terrace, tell us about um, being Governor of South Australia. Oh, that was, that was unreal. When I do something, I try to give 100%, and I gave it my all. And to meet so many wonderful human beings, it was, it was, I'm very honoured to have mm. had that position because uh, we all live in our own little dream world and you don't really realise what's going on out there until you're associated with it. And, particularly with the disabled children that I got involved with. I, I thought there was only one or two organisations, but there's mm. not. There's so many of them and so many nursing homes and 
And meeting the people of South Australia, I was the richer for it. I found the way people had to struggle in their lives mm. and how they overcome adversity. And uh, I think with the things that had happened in my life helped me to get through that because I was able to communicate with people that had lost someone. And I mm. think through all the trials of life, as I said, you grow or you, or you go under, well, I couldn't afford to go under. I had three young children to bring mm. up. And so I'm still here. Don't know for how much longer. I think I'm sitting on the bench, so I should be pushed off <laughs> pretty soon, but anyway. <laughs> are you a South Australian or a New South Welsh woman, or how do you see yourself? Are you a bit of both? Yes. Well, this is the longest I've ever lived here, mm. uh, from 1953, so mm. what? Well, that's well, we're coming well, up well, to... God, well, we're 69 years. Yes. 69 yes. years you've yes, lived here in SA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. um, but still a uh, New South Wales girl at heart, obviously, from Coffs Lithgow. and Lithgow. Lithgow. Yeah. Lithgow, uh, they've built a statue of me up there yep. in Lithgow, mm -hmm. and uh, I always call Lithgow home. Yeah. When's the last time you've been to Lithgow? Uh, when I carried the torch uh, for Sydney. Mm -hmm. I went up there and carried it through Lithgow. And, yeah. And, what uh, was that like? It was wonderful because Jack O'Hagan wrote a song when I won at the Olympics, and he called it Our Marjorie. And they had the choir all singing in the park as I unveiled the statue. And of course, the whole park was full of people. And, and just to hear that song again. And uh, I, I know all my girlfriends at school used to uh, go to the movies, roll Jaffa's down. They always played our Marjorie in the movies before it started. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so let's go. It was proud. <laughs> Does it sometimes feel that it was a completely different life? Oh yes, that's what I said. It's, yeah. When I was reading these things the other day, it was like reading about someone else. Mm. You really, you don't get it. I didn't get it to start with, mm. uh, just how important it was. I mean, when my mum said all these metals, uh, noise was going, I thought, they're mad, what are they doing that for? Didn't realise the impact it had back here in Australia. Mm. You know, to get the telegram from the Prime Minister and all that, I yeah. thought that was wonderful. Yeah. And meeting the Queen uh, yes. over there, in, she had a meeting for the Commonwealth Athletes and yeah. we went to Buckingham Palace and they came Don't and you. just said to me, the Queen wishes to meet you. Yeah. That's why I've been such a fan of hers. Right. Because I thought, and then they said, now you're not allowed to speak to her, you just answer her questions. Like I couldn't ask her a question. Yeah. And you called her Your Majesty to start with and then ma'am. Yes. Well, I was a wreck because... You know, you weren't allowed to say anything, but yeah. all you did was answer her, her questions. Yes, yeah. And then, of course, when I came out of the palace, um, all the press are there, what did she say? Mm. And, I, and I just, oh, what did you say? I said, I didn't say anything. <laughs> well, I get this letter ages from mum, and yeah. she said, we were brought you up better than being that rude. I didn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> when I get home, there was a whole back page of the paper, the whole back page, of all these things that I suppose I said, and I hadn't said anything. Oh, they really? just made up a whole page of it. Be unlike but the media, what, wouldn't it? <laughs> but what got me was, she knew every race I had competed, and she knew every time that I had done. Really? And I thought, that's when she had a number one fan, yeah. when I was 20. 
that she had taken the trouble to know everything. And I mean, yeah. I knew all these athletes, but I couldn't tell you what times they'd yeah. done. She yeah. knew everything I'd done. She was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful person. Yeah. And when I went there, I think the second or third time, the place is full, this particular room where you're allocated 20 minutes with her. So mm. she'd just come back from being very ill with the flu. And so she had this very croaky voice. So, so she sort of said, well, you know, what, what have you been doing? And I was telling her how I went to the outback in, with the flying doctor yeah. and how I had to get out of the plane while he saw the patient. And it was, I said all about the, just these salt bushes and miles of red dirt and dust. Yes. And I said, it was blowing a gale. And I said, uh, and by the time I came in, I said, I look like a cocky, <laughs> I'm telling you, because all my face was red from the dust yeah. and all my hair was standing up. You've got no idea the gale force winds and all this red was going on me. Well, I just, she started to laugh and then I just kept on telling her funny things and I saw her look at her watch and I'd been in there 40 minutes. Oh, really? And the, when I went out, I just saw her look and she yeah. just absolutely startled me because that threw everything out for 20 minutes. And the lady in waiting said to me, we didn't know what to do. She's never had anyone in there longer than 20 minutes. How's that? So she must have enjoyed me telling her all these stories. And then, of course, being governor, I ended up meeting her two or three times. I was going to say, all yes. those years later, yes. you were reacquainted. Yes. You had her over at your place this time. I did. So she stayed with me. <laughs> oh, she, so she stayed overnight there in your oh, place? Oh, she stayed there two or three days. Really? What yeah. was that like? Uh, well, I couldn't go to any of the functions yeah. because I'm her representative. So she was here, so I couldn't go to anything. Oh, right. So... Yeah. And I can remember I said to one of the butlers one night, oh, tell me what she looks like, you know, because I couldn't go down and have a look in her evening dress. Yeah, so yeah. when he came up, he said, oh, I don't know, she had a white thing on with a, with a tiara. So that's a man's description of an evening dress. Understandably. <laughs> but uh, I remember when they came to stay, Prince Philip, I'd met him quite often. Mm. And I just said, oh, you know, I've got a photo of you and me in the study that was taken. Anyway, as soon as we got inside, he just went, oh, where's that photo of us? Right. So I had to go up and show him. He said, gee, we were young, weren't we? Wow, so that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be 50 years earlier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, you've got to tell us about Prince Philip because he was always a, um, an interesting sort of guy and was happy to say anything that actually came into his mind. What was he like when you actually got oh, to Oh, he was lovely. He was great? Oh, he was good fun. He was, he was full of life. He was, in, I don't think he cared what he said. No. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like he wasn't... Um, sort of holding back mm. in any way, mm. whereas she's more sedate. Yes. Uh, but like, but he he would. You could yeah. have a laugh, a real yes. good laugh. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. found him quite delightful, yeah. to be honest. Brilliant. Mm. What has this whole journey and everything that you've achieved? What has it taught you? What have you learnt about yourself, perhaps through through uh, my all of this? My kids will ha hate me saying this, but I always say can't isn't in my dictionary. If you want, uh, although I'm starting to think differently now because just lately I'm seeming to be saying I can't do this. Uh, but when I was young, I just, I found as I went through life that we were really becoming a great nation of ants. Mm. You put a C in front of it and you got can't and you put a W in front of it and you got want. Mm. And that, that brought it home to me when Peter died. Mm. And uh, and I, and I realised we're so wrapped up in money and material mm. possessions mm. that somewhere along the way, 
we've lost what life means yeah. and how to live it. And uh, that really brought it home to me where I would have given up everything to mm -hmm. have kept him. Mm, of course. Yeah, so I, I think that was the message I've got out of life and, I, and everything I've done in my life. Uh, as Dad said to me when I won, you know, you're now an Olympic champion, a world champion. You should set an example by the way you live your life. Mm. And I've tried to do that in my 90 years. <laughs> I think you've done that wonderfully well and not just on the track, but certainly in everything else you've done mm. since as governor and, and certainly mm. leading a lot of the Commonwealth Games teams in that time. It sounds like your dad was a pretty wise man. A wonderful human being. And I, John Talor's son in New South Wales is now writing a book about our 1952 team and he has sent me all these cuttings from the Coffs Harbour paper where my father was the enormous, apparently, fisherman right. and had caught the biggest marlin. I knew he'd caught the biggest marlin. Yeah. And he had all these cups for fishing and yet not once did I ever. Only when he said, God gives us all a gift. Yes. And he just said, oh, well, I got that cup for fishing. Yeah. And that was about all. And mum, and my mum had her own orchestra when she was young. Mary, right. Mary Robinson Orchestra, yes. Oh, so the, you come from a list of high achievers. Yes. You were, you were bound to be good yes, when you I, found your gift. Yes, and I can remember Dad showing me a photo of his uncle who'd won all these cups, and I couldn't care less about his uncle. And now I wished I'd have listened. Yeah. But at 15 or 16, you don't. And, and you learn the lessons of life. I mean, I've had so many knocks in my life. No one, you wouldn't believe what I've been through. But you either go under or you, you strive above it. So, mm -hmm. you know, when I lost Peter, I was left with three young children. Yeah. Well, I, I had to bring them up. And, you know, I think the greatest achievement to me is our Peter Nelson Leukaemia Fund. Mm. Uh, we've put 10 researchers through now here in South Australia. And it's now administered by the Cancer Council for me because mm -hmm. As I've got to say, I can't do the fundraising now like mm. I used to, yep. but um, it's still going. I'm very, very proud of that for what I did with leukaemia. You raised an enormous amount of money yep. through Peter's Foundation, haven't you? Yeah. Very proud of that? Actually prouder than my gold medals because the gold medals really for me, yep. where if something can be found through research, it's helping us other mm. Australians and that's more important to me mm. than any gold medal really mm. and that's the way I look at life anyway. Well Marge you are an mm. absolute national treasure. Thank you. And I think today it's just absolutely amazing and brilliant that we can celebrate you becoming the, the first Australian woman to win a gold medal 70 years ago today. It's amazing. Yes it is. Yes it is. A, looking back I guess it is an achievement. I feel very honoured that you've given me the chance to come oh, and say Oh, that's hi. all right. Well, it was only because it was you. <laughs> well, guys, thanks so much for listening. Now, if you love what you just heard, please subscribe to the Soda Room podcast. You could write a review. Uh, you can watch the show on YouTube and share it with your buddies. And if you'd like to get in touch with the show, drop us a line, info at thesodaroom.com. Catch you soon.